Well, we're in our third week of a series on worship. Last week, I talked about hosting the Holy Spirit. Pastor Michael and I shared the service, and it was really about just having a a prepared heart, a receptive heart uh, to God. And as we come with receptivity individually in times of worship as well as collectively and as a congregation, our receptivity uh, just opens up our lives to, uh, to receive a greater measure of the Holy Spirit than resting on our lives. Jesus said to his disciples, go to Jerusalem and wait, and you will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes upon you. And so in that context of worship is where the Holy Spirit was poured out. And he, he's continuing to, being, to be poured out in our lives as well. And so uh, this morning, as we continue in this series, the title uh, of this message today, if you're taking notes, you can write this down, The Weight of worship. The weight of worship. The big idea is simply that worship is not about our preferences or our programs, but worship is offering our whole life to God. This is what worship is. When we hear the word worship, we think often of uh, singing, and, and that's very appropriate for us to call our singing time worship. We will often refer to our offering time of the service as this is a time of worship where we're giving to the Lord as worship, our tithes, our offerings. Um, but worship is, is more than a form. It's more than uh, something that we attend on a weekly basis at either 9.30 or 11.30. But worship is holistic. It's our, it's our whole lives. And Worship is weighty because God is worthy. It's not about us. It's about God. 1 Corinthians 10.31 says, So whether you eat or drink, whatever you do, do it all for the glory of God. This is worship. This is our lives. Do it all for the glory of God. So if you're out in a restaurant this afternoon eating, and drinking. You're at Starbucks. You're having a latte. Do it all for the glory of God. Do it all for the glory of God. I want to start off with a question this morning. And here's the question. Have you ever done the right thing the wrong way? Think about that for a minute. Have you done the right thing? So for example, have you ever put on a t-shirt in the morning, and about three o'clock in the afternoon, somebody points out, excuse me, but I think your t-shirt is on inside out. I see the tag hanging off the back. Has that ever happened to anybody? How about this, friends? Ikea furniture. (laughs) Have you ever put together a piece of furniture, uh, a bed? I remember putting together a bed one time, and I was doing the right thing. I was putting, I was doing the right thing. I did it the wrong way. I had pieces at the end. I couldn't figure out where to put them. Um, how many people have ever done the right thing the wrong way? Here's a couple people that have done the right thing the wrong way. Have a look at this lady here. She's turning left. <laughs> she's doing the right thing. How many know she's doing the wrong way? What about this one here? This one is good. Doing the right thing <laughs> the wrong way. I actually had to look at that for a few minutes going, I don't get it. <laughs> I get it now. I am blonde, <laughs> but I get it, all right? Uh, next one here, this is good. If it ever. <laughs> uh, 
You see, sometimes we can do the right thing, but we're doing it in the wrong way. And if you have a Bible this morning, 1 Samuel chapter 4 is our, our text that we're going to be looking at. If you don't have a Bible, that's okay. There will be Scripture on the screens. But we find the people of God, they have crossed now over the Jordan River. They're you know, in the Promised Land some time, and it's the season where God has raised up priests and and, and the season of the judges. And so Eli is the high priest of Israel and they have the, the Ark of the Covenant that they had carried across the Jordan into this land and they're you know, having victory and many battles. And they're, but now they're in a time and it's probably one of the low points in the history of Israel where spiritually they are um, falling away from God. They're doing some of the right things. They have some of the right things in place. The ark is there in the tabernacle in a place called Shiloh. So, that, so they're still doing some right things. But we know that in Samuel, uh, Eli the priest, it, it says that there weren't many visions in that day. That, and God was now at the same time raising up young Samuel to be uh, the prophet of Israel who would help move into the season of kings when the people cried out and, and King Saul came and then David. And so this is the time period of history and they're battling uh, the Philistines which are the arch enemy uh, of God's people during this time. And you'll see the Philistines throughout the Old Testament and they're constantly battling them. And, but they're kind of surprised because they had just come back from, from a battle and they're, they're, they're kind of upset and disappointed that they lost this battle. They, they, there were some casualties. And so the, the people get together and they, they scheme an idea. The elders say, well, well we, should, we should do something so that we can win this battle. And, and, and they come together and, and come up with an idea. And they, they say, well, let's take the Ark of the Covenant from Shiloh and let's take it out to the camp. And so this is what it says in just chap, chapter 4, starting at verse 3. Let us bring the Ark of the Covenant of the Lord from Shiloh to us, so that when it comes among us, it may save us from the enemies of God, our enemies. Okay? So I want, you to, I want you to notice something here. So they decide, we're going to take the ark, we're going to take the ark which represents the presence of God. The, the ark was a wooden box with gold, and, and, and inside were, were the, the Ten Commandments, and the law of God, the Word of God, and so, and it was brought into the, the Holy of Holies, and it was a place that where the, where the sacrifice, the blood sacrifice was made for the forgiveness uh, of the people. Um, and the Day of Atonement and all those things were, were brought into that place. And the ark was in the, in the tabernacle. And they said, well, let's get the ark because it's, it represents the presence of God. And they may have remembered the, the time when the ark went first into the Jordan River and, and all the people followed and the presence went first. But they didn't inquire of the Lord. They just came up with the great idea. And they just said... I know, I've got an idea. Let's, let's use the presence of God in a way that's going to benefit us. And I want you to notice, it, it says here, let us bring the Ark of the Covenant of the Lord from Shiloh. Watch this. So that when it comes among us, it may save us from the hand of our enemies. Somehow along the line, Israel, people of God, had forgotten that the ark was the, representing the presence of God, the person. And they were treating it like a good luck charm. They were treating the presence of God in this way. And so on it goes in the scripture reading. So the people sent 
men to Shiloh and they brought back the Ark of the Covenant of the Lord Almighty who is enthroned between the cherubim. And Eli's two sons, Hophni and Phinehas, were there with the Ark of the Covenant of God. When the Ark of the Lord's Covenant came into the camp, all Israel raised such a great shout that the ground shook. And hearing the uproar, the Philistines asked, what's all this shouting in the Hebrew camp? And when they learned that the ark of the Lord had come into the camp, the Philistines were afraid a god has come into the camp. And they said, oh no, nothing like this has happened before. We're doomed. Who will deliver us from the hand of these mighty gods? Now, they were a, a, a people that had many different gods. They, one of their gods was, was Dagon. They had several different gods that they worshipped. But they, for some reason, must have thought that Israel had many gods. But they didn't know that Israel had one god. So these are the gods who struck the Egyptians, they said, with all kinds of plagues in the wilderness. And then somebody gets some courage in this enemy camp, and they say, well, be strong, Philistines. Be men, or you will be subject to the Hebrews as they have been to you. Be men and fight. So the Philistines fought. And watch this, and the Israelites were defeated, and every man fled to his tent, which is an expression, a Jewish expression, like, we're just giving up, we're out of here. And the slaughter was very great, and Israel lost 30,000 foot soldiers, and the ark of God was captured, and Eli's two sons, Hophni and Phinehas, died. There's probably some more joyful chapters of the Bible a preacher could pull on for a Sunday morning. It's a little weighty. It's a little heavy because we see that there was such a spiritual drift in the people of God. They begin to take matters into their own hands. They begin to look at the presence of God, look at their worship as just kind of an add-on, kind of an afterthought. They're out battling, they're out fighting, and God's presence had been with them. He'd been faithful, but what they needed was not a good luck charm to help win the next battle, but what they needed was repentance. What they needed was to come before the Lord with repentance and come to seek him and say, God, what should we do? And I love in the the scriptures where David, it says that David inquired of the Lord. What a great thing for you and for me to constantly walk with that sense of we're inquiring, God, what do you desire for us? How will we win this next battle? How will we move forward? But the weight of worship is that worship is not a program. You see, they begin to treat the presence of God, like I said, like like a program, rather than honoring the presence as a person. And we can run into this kind of danger as well. Now the good news is, the big picture of Scripture, is that the people of God recovered the ark. You see what happened after the Philistines had captured it, they they took it to their camp and they put it in front of their god, Dagon. And as they put it in front of Dagon overnight, Dagon's head fell off and his arms fell off and he was bowing down before the presence of God. Because every idol has to bow in the presence of God. I love that story. You know, wherever the presence is, the idol's got to bow. And they were so confused. They're like, okay, let's just put him in with all of our other gods and all the, you know, this big Dagon god, which was kind of like this giant mermaid guy and with a beard and like a tail or whatever because they were, they were a, like a, a seafaring people from the Mediterranean. They were very advanced in their weaponry and whatever, the Philistines. But they had these gods and so the presence of God and then Dagon falls, Dagon falls, Dagon falls in the presence. There's no god that can stand up against our god. 
There is no God stronger. There is no God greater than our God. And so over time, the uh, Philistines began to get sick, and they said, we don't even want this anymore. Get this out of here. And uh, so they sent it, sent it back. The ark was recovered, of course, with David. And, and you see the ark being recovered and restored again um, during the future history of, of Israel. And the good news is for us as well today is that the, the presence of God is here today. That the presence of God is here for you and me. Because the Father loved us so much that he sent his son Jesus. And Jesus sent us his Holy Spirit. So we're, we're not without the presence. But there's some things that we can learn today and be reminded of when it comes to this idea of worship being weighty. And here's the first one. You can't use God for your own purposes. You can't use God in a way that is just for your own gain. And this is the trap that the people found themselves in. Israel had re- reduced the ark or the presence of God, just to a religious pattern, a religious form. They began to treat the presence of God like a good luck charm in their life. It's like, well, let's going to put it out there, and maybe we'll get lucky, we'll win this battle. They decided, let's just take the, the ark, bring it right up to the battle lines, put it out there. I remember being a kid, and way back in the 80s, they had these things called rabbit's feet. Do you remember when people had a rabbit's foot attached to their purse, or... Their, whatever, their keychain, and they were usually colored like purple and red, and they were supposed to bring you good luck. Now, if any of you have a rabbit's foot, first of all, you're very cruel to animals, so <laughs> repent. People don't do that anymore. Like, that would just be so weird in our culture, like chopping off a rabbit's little, poor little bunny, and you're carrying it around. It was the 80s. What, I can, what can I say? But the idea is maybe there's people as well. You grew up in different traditions and you have little statues or idols or, or, or things that you think, well, I'm a little bit superstitious and I, I'm, these things are kind of like good luck charms for me. Well, first of all, I would not recommend any kind of good luck charms because you don't need good luck. There's no such thing as good luck, but there's the favor of God that's available for you. And you don't need to live your life crossing your fingers and, and you know, avoiding ladders and all this kind of weird stuff. Just be free. Get that stuff broken off of you. There's no such thing as good luck, but there is the favor and the blessing of God as you open up your heart and your life to him and walk in his ways, walk as a worshiper. But we can't just use God. And people do this. People will use church or God. Or, and we all have the, the tendency at times to be tempted by or trapped up in some of these things, even sometimes unknowingly where I'm just going to go to church for an emotional experience, or I'm just going to go to, uh, you know, to be part of that just for this reason or that reason, or maybe it's position, or maybe it's power, or maybe it's to network or to rub shoulders with people. And, and, and sometimes those things are just a benefit of us being together, that we make friends, and so there's nothing wrong with that. But we got to be careful that we're not using God. We're not using the things of God, the presence of God, for our own purposes. Because this is what the people of Israel were doing at the time. Some people just chase signs and wonders. And I am all about the moving of the Holy Spirit, the free move of the Spirit. I am all about signs, wonders. I'll lay hands on people. I'll pray for people. I believe in the gifts. I believe in merit. I believe it's for today. Come on. I believe it. I believe it. I believe it. But friends, we need to be careful that we don't become a, a 
people that just chase signs and wonders, go from conference to conference. Give me a word. Give me a prophecy. Give me this. Give me that. Pray for me, pastor. Pray for me, evangelist. Pray for me, person. Because we find ourselves in this spiral of just everything about our Christianity, everything about our faith becomes about us and becomes about me. And we begin to use the things of God just to, for our purpose. I'm going to chase this and chase that and go to this and go to that. Prophetic persons in town, give me a word. I have a word for you this morning. Read your Bible. Read your Bible. It's in the words. It's in the words. Having said that, I've had prophets prophesy over me, pray for me. I'll take it. I'll fall down on the ground. I don't care. Bring it on. But we cannot make our Christianity about chasing things just and using the things of God just for our own benefits. Because worship is not about you and me. It's never been about you and me. Worship is always about him. And the people of God had forgot. They, they begin to see worship as it. They begin to see the presence as it, a way for them to somehow get ahead. Somebody will say, well, how was church this morning? Well, I really liked the worship today. I know what you mean. I get it. And I say stuff like that too. So no condemnation. Or I didn't like the worship this morning. Can I just challenge us that worship is not about you and me? Whether you and I liked it or not, did God like it? Did God receive? From our, did our heart connect to him? And I know there's musical styles and all kinds of things. This is going to age me a little bit, but anybody 40 and under is going to go, oh, you're old, okay? But the other, Heather and I grew up in church, so the other Sunday we went home and we went on YouTube and we found uh, hymns. And you can get like these hymns on YouTube and you can just listen to hours of hymns. And all Sunday afternoon, just like all these old hymns coming from the past. And we're just sitting there and our kids are just like, all right, okay, whatever, I'm going outside. Like, uh, you know, mom and dad, you have fun. Like they, but for us, it was like these hymns, they, they mean something to us. But you know what? I, I need to adjust. I need to come to church. I, I'm open. I wanna, it's not about the style of music. I, when I come to worship God, it's about me connecting with the heart of God. I love the lyrics. I love the words. I love all the new stuff. Let there be new, new songs new, new for the new season. Let there be new wine that God could pour out to new wines because we've got to receive it all. We've got to be open to, to walking in the things of God. We've got we to understand that, that, that music speaks to different generations. It's not about me. I may have preferences one way or another. But the world keeps changing and culture keeps shifting and music keeps changing. And we just got to be a people that are open and recognize that no matter what, some churches have worship wars and they fight and they bicker. Thank God that we don't have worship wars at First Assembly. Those days are over. You can go to another church if you want to war about worship. We're not going to war about worship. We're going to worry about carpet colors or, or paint colors. We're just going to be who we are. We're going to be on mission for Jesus Christ. We're going to be about reaching people in our city. We're going to be about sharing the gospel. We're not going to get into fighting or infighting among ourselves. When we get to that place, we begin to treat the things of God for our own purposes and may it never be because the weight of worship demands that he is worthy and that we honor and walk in a worthiness before him and a humility before him. You can't use God for your own purposes. In the book of Acts, when Peter and John came across this, this sorcerer, Simon, he, he saw them lay hands on people, and the Holy Spirit began to come, come upon the people, and there were miraculous things that were taking place. And he looked, and he said, oh man, he goes, I gotta buy that. I, I, I gotta buy what you got. How much does it cost for the Holy Spirit? And Peter, man, he got mad, and he said, he said you and your money should perish. And the actual translation, if you break that down, what he is saying is this, he is saying to to hell with you and your money, Simon. 
That's actually, if you can look in the Greek and you can ask the Bible college professor, that's exactly what it says. To hell with you and your money, Simon. Because Peter knew, he says, you cannot buy the things of God. You cannot use the things of God for your own purposes. This is what Jesus said. He said, if anyone would come after me, let him deny himself and take up his cross and follow me. This is worship. For whoever should save his life will lose it, but whoever loses his life for my sake will find it. As we worship God with our whole lives, this is what it demands. Second and the final thing this morning, believe it or not, it's possible to sing to God and to get excited about God and still not submit to God. It's possible. And this is what happened. They, man, the Ark of the Covenant came into their camp and they were getting it ready to put out to the battle lines. It says, when the Ark of the Lord's Covenant came to the camp, all Israel raised such a great shout that the ground shook. I mean, they were having a party. I'll tell you right now, these Israelites were very Pentecostal. <laughs> I mean, they began to shout. They began to get excited. They began to dance around. There was all kinds of noise and excitement. And here's where you and I need to understand the weightiness of worshiping God. When we come to a gathering like this, or we go to some other event, or, and, and we, we worship and we sing and we raise our hands, that's all great and that's all appropriate. But if we walk out of that building and our lives are not resubmitted to God, in a fresh way, if we are not in a place where we're saying, God, I honor you with my life. I want to live for you in a greater way. I want to walk in a greater obedience. Then we have not worshiped. We've just made a bunch of noise. And we've just made a bunch of activity, religious activity. The weight of worship means that as we worship him, we change. We walk in repentance. We walk in a greater level of healing, a greater level of forgiveness. We don't come Sunday morning just to get an emotional high. We come, and, and I, I don't, nothing wrong with emotionalism. I, I say shout, yell, scream, dance, just do whatever you want. If you have a purpose for your emotion, it's not emotionalism. If you have a reason to be excited, how many are thankful that Jesus died on the cross, he rose from the dead? I mean, he conquered death and hell, has the keys of death. And I mean, he, you're going to heaven? That's something to be excited about. So that's not emotionalism. If you want to, if we had chandeliers, you could swing on them here if you wanted to. <laughs> Emotionalism is just being emotional for the sake of emotion, and then nothing changes. There's no reason to it. It's just, I just feel like getting emotional. And I'm not for emotionalism. I'm for exuberant worship, heartfelt worship that is weighty. And the way that worship is weighty is my life is different when I leave the building because I've encountered God in a fresh way. And my heart then has been contrite before him, saying, God, I repent, I walk. And if Israel would have just brought repentance to the Lord, rather than treating the ark like an it, the things of God like an it, they were doing some of the right things, but they were doing it the wrong way. You see, there's a way that we worship God, and it's up to him to determine how he receives our worship, not our preference. It's not up to us to say, well, I worship God like this or like that or like that. The Bible's very clear about what kind of worship that God accepts from us. And it's 
worship that's honest. It's, Jesus said that the Father is seeking worshipers who will worship him in spirit and in truth. And that means there's a contriteness, there's an honesty about our worship. The problem is that they had stopped honoring God with their obedience. And true worship really boils down to obedience before him. Jesus said, if you love me, keep my commands. And can I just encourage you this morning? God's heart is not like, well, if you love me, prove it to me. Keep my commands. His heart is, if you love me, out of the overflow of what I have done for you, you will live your life in a place of reverence before me. You will keep your commands. Why? Because I have to? No, because I want to. Because the relationship that God offers us. Now, if you want to just keep the commands of God because you have to, that's a great place to start. But God has so much more for you. He wants to walk with you in relationship. He wants, because you and I could never keep every command in the scripture. That's the problem. We could never, just try, just try keeping all the Ten Commandments. And if you and I even try, there's no way we could ever do it. That's why Jesus came. Jesus came to fulfill all of the law and all of the prophets. How many are thankful for the freedom? We are free in Christ Jesus because he came. He says, I came. Jesus said, I came. I fulfilled all the Ten Commandments for you. Then I died in your place so that you wouldn't have to die. So I, first of all, lived a life you could never live, a life of sinlessness before the Father in relationship. And then I came to show you as an example. And then I came and died on the cross to forgive you of all of your sin, all of your shame, all of your failure. Why? So that you can have access to the Father, that you can walk in relationship with the Father as a child of God. What an amazing, beautiful gospel this is. That by grace you have been saved through faith. That not of yourself, it is the gift of God that nobody should boast. How many are thankful for the gift of God, the salvation that he offers us? So Eli was the high priest, and God was already raising up Samuel, as I mentioned. And Eli, he let his kids do whatever they wanted to do. It was His two sons were rebellious, and they should have been raised up in the things of God, but there was such spiritual decline that was taking place and there was such misguided reverence for the things of God and the ark of God that Eli's two sons, they were rebellious and stole from the offerings of God, committed sexual immorality at the front of the tabernacle. And so Eli, when he hears he was sitting somehow on the wall, and there was a runner, a messenger that came back after the Philistines had taken the Ark of the Covenant. They stole it. And after there was such a great slaughter and such loss, and when he heard that his sons had died in battle, and then he heard this, the Ark has been stolen, which represented, again, the presence of God with them. Can you imagine what, like, what a failure he felt like at that time? He was an old man, a large man. It says he fell over. He broke his neck and he died. And that's kind of where the story ends. And that's why it's like not the most exciting scripture for a pastor to preach on necessarily to get, you know, hey, this is, do you feel good this morning going home from church? 
Yeah, Eli, you know, Humpty Dumpty sat on the wall. Humpty Dumpty had a great fall. It's basically what it was. And they couldn't put the pieces back together. But here's the good thing. God can put the pieces back together. Even when we misstep, even when we stray, even when we intentionally or most times, I believe, unintentionally use the things of God for our own purposes, treat worship in a way, do the right things the wrong way, God's grace and His mercy is for you and me. And He is here this morning to remind us and to cleanse us and to forgive us and to call us to a weightier worship in our lives. The weight of worship goes beyond Sunday morning. And the weight of worship is an awareness. It's what we sang earlier today. God, I want to become more aware of your presence in my life. I'm going to ask our musicians to come at this time, and we're going to prepare for communion. Jesus himself, he bore the full weight of worship. Listen to this. Jesus bore the full weight of worship when he was in the garden because that worship was obedience to the Father. He said, if there's any way, Lord, would you take this cup from me? But if not, not my will, listen to this, not my will, but your will be done. When Jesus bled tears of blood and sweat drops of blood, rather, when he was in that garden, sweat drops of blood, he was in agony knowing that he had to go to the cross, but he did it as worship. It was weighty in that moment. It was weighty. And worship means that we worship him for who he is. That we don't do it in a way that pleases us, but a way that pleases him. And as we approach the communion table today, may we approach with great reverence and obedience. May, may we approach not just by looking at communion as, well, it's just another thing I do in church, but may we understand the weight of what Jesus did for us, the worship that he lived out on our behalf before the Father. As we take communion this morning, may we worship in the right way because it's the right thing. The Bible does instruct us saying, as we approach the communion table, that we shouldn't mistake communion. We should not take communion, which is the right thing to do, but do it in the wrong way. He's, and the scripture says that's why there's many sick among you. So we need to bring our repentance before God. We need to bring, if there's any unforgiveness or bitterness in our heart, doesn't mean you might have pain, you might have painful memories in the past, but again, you're saying, God, I release it to you. I lay it down to you. I don't want to hold on to bitterness and pain. If there's any sin in your life, just take evaluation of where you're at with the Lord. Have you been using the things of God in a way for your own benefit? Or have you done religious things without heart change? May you and I then bring repentance. I, I, I'm with you this morning. I'm like, God, I want to honor you in a greater way in my life. And David, he cried out and he said, Lord, take not your Holy Spirit from me. Now, 
we don't have to worry about that in the sense that God's Holy Spirit, He lives inside of us. We live on this side of the cross, the new covenant. And so His presence and His power is inside of us. So I'm so thankful for that. The enemy can never take it away. But we can still walk with a sense of, God, Your presence on my life, I cherish it. I value it. And I don't want to do anything that would lift the presence from my life, that, that presence that rests upon our lives. He's in you, but we want his presence upon us. We want to walk in a greater authority, a greater power, a greater breakthrough. And Jesus prayed. He said, Father, if you're willing, take this cup from me, yet not my will, but your will be done. So the ushers are going to come right at this time, and I'm just going to ask you that you would just hold on to the bread and the cup, and we're just going to partake together in a moment. And if you're, not, if you're here today and you haven't yet surrendered your life to Christ, even in this moment, you can do that. And you would be welcome to receive communion with us just by saying, Jesus, forgive me of my sin. Come into my life. I want to be born again. God will hear your prayer. And why don't you join us this morning?